What goes into your car? As new minerals are rapidly making their way into our everyday life, we're increasingly concerned about the footprint of the materials that underpin our modern lifestyles. The fungibility of natural resources has helped some business players hide behind the complexity of global supply chains. To shed light on one of the most obscure commodities, join me as I pull back the curtain on the supply chain of cobalt. From deep underground all the way to your driveway. I'm your host, Osa Boschien, and this is High Grade. This is High Grade. To make responsible sourcing a standard and not a standalone product that comes with a higher price tag. If we're going to have a green transition, we also have to have a just transition. Consumers can push and should push. It's not about looking away, but about engaging with the local actors. This is where I get quite passionate. Too few are doing anything about it. Welcome to High Grade and this podcast series on the responsible sourcing of minerals. Starting at Mindsight, we have followed cobalt through the supply chain. Today we look into the making of automobiles, at a time in which the industry is being transformed by the growing craze for electric cars. Global sales are on the rise, and so is the demand for the cobalt that goes into the batteries that power these vehicles. The challenge is great. When a single car relies on the inputs from 60,000 suppliers, how can you truly appreciate the ultimate impact of your supply chain? My guest today joins us from Mercedes-Benz. Johannes Danz looks after the sustainability of supply chains. Johannes, welcome to the Natural Resources Podcast. Thank you also for having me. Mercedes-Benz has been an early mover in the responsible procurement of raw materials, often referred to as responsible sourcing. In practice, though, why does it matter to Mercedes-Benz what happens in, say, a remote Congolese mine? Well, there's actually a fairly straightforward answer to this, and, and, and that is that human rights is one of our core company values. It's forms a dedicated pillar in our business strategy, which then, of course, uh, covers supply chain issues. Um, it covers our all of our areas of business, including our employees, our production plants, and then, of course, also the hypothetical mine in the DRC. We have indeed been, I think, I think that's indeed fair to say, and thank you for mentioning it, uh, one of the early movers, uh, especially when it comes to developing a human rights due diligence system. Hmm. We call ours the Human Rights Respect System, which is something that we continuously develop and reform and do it again, essentially, uh, to respond to the salient risks that we see uh, in our business area, but of course also to accommodate new requirements, uh, for instance, um, coming out of the upcoming due diligence legislation in Germany or on the European level. Mm. Does your increasing focus on responsible sourcing in some way reflect pressure from consumers? I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's, it's pressure from consumers, but what we certainly see is that there's a tremendously increased interest in the topic in general. Mm. Uh, so we do get these questions from, from customers and, and they're being passed through uh, even to us in the procurement division um, uh, sometimes. Um, what is even more visible is that we receive lots and lots of questions from investors 
and that includes uh, you know your dialogue formats uh, that you have um, on a regular basis and where the company provides a forum uh, for these uh, for these kinds of questions it is a development that we uh, that we find uh, very welcome we see that going into a right direction and um, because it also helps us pushing for ESG requirements in the supply chain and supporting the claim um, that that is actually an important issue for Mercedes-Benz and that is that that is very close to our to our core business. Mm. Let's move on and consider the sourcing of a metal currently surrounded by controversy. What are the most critical ESG challenges in the cobalt supply chain? So I will not surprise you when I say that supply chain transparency beyond tier one is an issue, right? Um, but but it, it really is one. Uh, and it is one, especially for a material that is, that is cobalt um, in the sense that it is something that is that involves a lot of uh, players in in the value chain. It is something that is traded um, quite dynamically, um, and that the, these supplier relations in the supply chain also change constantly. So, massive challenge to really establish transparency and 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 looking in, into the depth of it. Mercedes-Benz has gone to some length here, um, and that begins with contractual questions. So we have mm -hmm. agreements in place that uh, look at disclosure of business partners um, in, in the deeper supply chain. That is the, the starting point, if you will. Um, and then uh, from 2018 on um, already, we have partnered up with an auditing company, RCS Global, to map and then also audit our corporate supply chain based on the OECD guidelines. And that really has put us into a good position to th thoroughly understand our risk exposure, but also being able to react upon those risks mm. through addressing these indirect dialogues uh, with our suppliers and, and with suppliers in the, in the deeper levels and the deeper tiers of the supply chain, agree on corrective action plans if that is necessary, mm -hmm. and also, um, and often, overlooked maybe uh, other half of the same coin, offer training and capacity building wherever needed. You mentioned something uh, which you call a tier one, etc. Um, could you just briefly explain that concept to us? Yeah, for sure. Um, so when we talk about about supply chains, we, we use the expression of different levels mm -hmm. with the OEM being on top and then one being the, the, the first supplier that there is a business relationship with, and then it sort of goes down the supply chain. You mentioned that Mercedes-Benz is now doing audits to the supply chain. What are these audits telling us? What I can share is that we have not seen, you know, harsh human rights violations. Uh, what we've seen for sure were issues related to operational health and safety, for instance, and um, also gaps in relation to if a company has adequate due diligence processes in place. Mm -hmm. um, that has been rather widespread and that is of course something that we take back and then again raise in our, um, in our dialogue formats with our suppliers. You are listening to a high-grade podcast series on responsible sourcing. Deep diving into cobalt, a metal surrounded by controversy due to the environmental and working conditions during production. Today we entered a car factory, 
I'm talking with Johannes Danz from Mercedes-Benz to trace the impact of cobalt production through the many steps prior to reaching their manufacturing plant. From mines to cars, there are numerous steps in the supply chain, and the fungibility of metals and minerals adds to the challenge of traceability. Can an end producer like Mercedes-Benz accurately trace where their multiple inputs come from? Yeah, it's 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 really an interesting one. And if you allow me to go to take one step back from that question, just to illustrate the magnitude of the of the issue that we're talking about, if we combine everything that Mercedes-Benz buys, and that is you know production materials, non-production materials, everything that feeds into our production plants and offices worldwide, mm. we are talking about roughly sixty thousand suppliers, tier one. And if you add to this, you're on average five to eight tier levels, which you would have to do if your goal would be to map the entire thing. You can, mm. so, you can sort of see where this is going, right? What comes on top of that is that level of complexity and that dynamic attitude that raw material supply chains have, which you just mentioned. Mm. That not only relates to raw materials, but also to, to semi-manufactured products. Copper would be an interesting example where we have quite a high standardization of these semi-manufactured products. That's that's certain strength of wires, for instance, mm. um, that are equally being traded quite dynamically. And that is something that a, a trade enthusiast might call efficient. But um, on the other side, um, it's it's a pretty it's pretty much a nightmare for a sustainability professional trying to establish that sense of traceability in the supply chain and 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 you can only get so far mm. and um what this means for us, practically speaking, is that we need to follow a risk based approach that that is in line with the UNGPs uh, of course um what we do there in practice is we have defined a list of critical raw materials, 24 of them, for different reasons. And, and within that list, we look at each material and, and we look at the, um, the, the, the parts, we call them focus parts, that are particularly relevant for that, for that material. Mm-hmm. Um, so we look at um, indicators such as weight, we look at how technologically relevant is that part, will that change in the future? And put that into a rating, and this is essentially how we prioritize and then follow up with these with these focus parts. And what would you say is the weakest link in traceability? Would it be, for example, the mine, the smelter, trade, or component parts? What would you say? It is a bit difficult to to give a straightaway answer to this uh, because mm. it it really depends a bit on the material that you look at. But, but traditionally speaking, I think I think you can say that um, the smelter is always a focus um, mm-hmm. um, because this is this is the level where material is combined and afterwards you can't really trace it anymore or you you can't really follow up where it originally comes from. And that means um, in turn that. The smelter has a, a very important uh, responsibility to perform its own due diligence. If that doesn't happen at this stage, it's very difficult to follow up on on uh, on, on the later levels. But again, as I just mentioned, we have these these high standardization of of even semi-manufactured products even later in the supply chains, and they are also being traded freely through warehouses, for instance. And here also, it is incredibly difficult well, to come up with a system that allows that traceability because it doesn't really reflect the realities of trade today. 
A lot has been said about the potential of blockchain, which is basically a digital record-keeping system that can enable establishing the provenance of goods and tracking their progression through a supply chain. But in the end, these technologies will not really change the human rights conditions on the ground, will they? They will not change the human rights conditions on the ground, but they are, they are a tool that allow us to get closer to the problem. Mm. And I think that is, that, is, that is their main benefit. We must not make the mistake, though, to trust everything on technology and, 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 and be content with having such a tool in place, but then actually use that. And, and again, that might be the more laborious part of the entire operation. Use that to address risks and, and, and work towards an improvement of the situation. Otherwise, it's pointless. And do you see that, for example, blockchain technology will make a responsible sourced certification become a thing? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully it contributes to that. Um, mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, when I came to, to mining a few years back now, uh, I, I was still amazed that that in general, mining certification was not a big thing at the time and is still in the process of development. For us, that is actually quite an important aspect because, because mining certification is capable of addressing an entire range of mining-related risks head-on where they occur, which is very difficult from an OEM perspective. Mm. And therefore, we kind of depend on the system to really penetrate the markets, and we do support that, um, especially with regards to IRMA, which is an, an initiative and a standard very close to, to our expectations. Um, but uh, you're absolutely right, there needs to be an adequate system that allows a tracking of these material of these materials to make it also transparent um, throughout the chain and eventually to the end consumer. Mm. So when will we see a responsibly sourced Mercedes-Benz come out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting one. So, I mean, I, I buy fair trade coffee. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that we're going to see any car um, with a greenish uh, logo certificate whatever that might be um on the trunk anytime soon and and i'm and i'm also not so sure if that is really the right way so our opinion on this one is really to make responsible sourcing a standard and not a standalone product that comes with a higher price tag mm. i think that would also be a strange interpretation of of a human rights based approach towards responsible sourcing so we clearly see that as the new normal and not as an addition once the origin of your supplies is established, you need to decide how to tackle the problem. I imagine that the easiest way is to drop purchases from irresponsible mining, um, noting that these tend to be disenfranchised artisanal and small-scale miners. The other, much more complex approach is to engage with these producers to improve standards. What is the right approach according to you? I think I raised this briefly at the very beginning of our conversation, but we are very clear on this one actually, and that is there will be no withdrawal from a difficult situation as a measure to reduce risk exposure. Hmm. Um, that, that decision has been taken and that is also something that is, that is really guiding us as a, as a principle um, in, in what we do to tackle human rights risks in our supply chain. 
Of course, in the case of severe human rights violations that may be committed by a direct business partner, for instance, there will be a significant response and that will up lead up to the termination of a business relationship if the situation calls for it. So that's, yeah. that's an, another scenario. But generally speaking, I strongly believe that our goal must be to improve conditions and to make the entire system that is the entire supply chain stronger and more and more resilient and this is also why we push for the market penetration of strong sustainability standards such as IRMA that can really address um, those mining related risks at the very very beginning of the supply chain. Johannes it's been an interesting conversation thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure thank you so much. And thank you for tuning into this Natural Resources podcast series on responsible sourcing of minerals. Today we've reached the automobile industry. Under increasing pressure from consumers, car manufacturers like Mercedes-Benz are devoting increasing resources to incentivizing best operating practices through their supply chains. There is clear progress, says Johannes Danz although challenged by the multitude of parts and inputs their production relies on. Thanks to our sponsor, the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development through BGR. Coming up soon, don't miss the final episode of this series where we explore the role of laws and regulations in advancing responsible sourcing. Until then, so long 